Our Old Testament reading this morning is Exodus 34, verses 1 through 9. Exodus 34, 1 through 9. This is God's holy, infallible word, so let's give it our full attention now. The Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Our New Testament text, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Jesus here, of course, as we've been saying, is preaching this great sermon, and he's preaching the coming of the kingdom of heaven. He's he's been announcing and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here. We get this summary in Matthew 4, 17 of, of all his preaching. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that message ran through Israel like an electric shock. It, it woke people up. They listened to that, right? This is the, the thing that Israel has been waiting for for so many generations, for God to come to come and reign over his people, set up his throne right there among them and and defeat their enemies and give them this glorious salvation. So as Jesus is preaching this coming of the kingdom of heaven, he's he's aware that that there's there's going to be all these expectations around what what kind of a kingdom he's going to be bringing, what kind of a kingdom this is going to be, what kind of a king he's going to be. 
The people of Israel had certain expectations about the kingdom, and uh, many of them were thinking in, in, in earthly terms about it. Uh, that, that perhaps, right, that, that they're thinking politically, geopolitically, Christ, uh, the king is going to come and he's going to kick out the Romans. And he's going to make them pay taxes to us instead of us paying taxes to them. And he's going to do away with things like uh, uh, poverty and famine and droughts and hardships. And he's going to restore Israel to, to its former glory and even beyond that. And all the nations will bring tribute to, to Israel. So there's this, there's this kind of political sense in which they're expecting the kingdom to come in an earthly kind of way. So even as Jesus begins preaching the kingdom of heaven, he wants them to understand that, that what he's talking about is, is, is different from what they are thinking different from their expectations. And as he begins, these beatitudes here, right, these words are so striking and so surprising. Right? He's, he's painting for us the picture of kingdom life and, and what a citizen of, a king, of the kingdom of heaven would look like. And it's so different from those expectations. And it's so different from the, the virtues of the culture around them. And what he's telling us it belongs to the kingdom of heaven are, are those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning over their sin, homesick for the kingdom to come, those who are meek and lowly and gentle. Right, these aren't the strong. These aren't the, the, the ambitious and the, the, the great ones of the world. These are the weak, the lowly, the childlike. He's saying, that's a citizen of my kingdom. Someone who knows who they are before God, who their, their, their emptiness in themselves, their lack of spiritual resources in themselves before God. And he's holding out to us this, this, uh, this model of the good life that is totally uh, different from everything the world says is the good life. And he's saying, this is the way you should live. This is the blessed, happy, good life. It's marked by sorrow for sin but it's marked by these eternal heavenly blessings that, that are so, so, so much better, so much, so much sweeter and so much more durable than the joys of this world. He's calling us to a costly life, but he's calling us to the sweetest joys as well. And as he's preaching this sermon, as he's working through these Beatitudes, we've seen the first four. They're primarily Beatitudes, which are, as we've been saying, Beatitudes of need. Uh, uh, that beatitudes that humble us. We acknowledge our need, our hunger for righteousness, our, our need for that, our poverty of spirit, our, our mourning for sin. But now, but now he switches over to something, something different, right? right? He's, he's saying that uh, uh, we also need to be not just uh, 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 hungering after these things, but we need to be ourselves practicing certain things. And that's what he goes on to. Today, uh, as we consider, blessed are the merciful. Jesus is not calling us out of this world when he calls us to his kingdom, is he? Right? He, he's not calling us out of this sin-sick, suffering-saturated world. He calls us to be citizens of his kingdom in the midst of it. So what do we need to do? How, how, how does a citizen of the kingdom of heaven respond to that broken world around you, right? right? Do we say, well, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, so my concerns are those concerns, and I don't need to worry about the, the suffering and, and ever, the, the marks of this broken kingdom of this world. 
How, how is a citizen of his kingdom to respond? Jesus says, with mercy. He wants us to live, he commands us to live lives that are marked by mercy. So the first question then is, well, what does he mean by mercy? Mercy's meaning. That's our first heading this morning. Mercy's meaning. What does Jesus mean when he says that we're to be merciful? What, what does he mean exactly? How does the scripture define mercy? Well, it defines it as uh, showing compassion and kindness to those who are in need, need of any kind. Right? Those, who are, who, those who are feeling the painful effects of sin, those who are struggling with sin, you show them kindness. Thomas Watson, a, a Puritan, uh, puts it like this. Love is like a friend that visits them that are well. Mercy is like a physician that visits the sick. Right? Kindness, love, right? that's, that's going to see someone who's, who's well, and you enjoy their company, you just want to go for a visit. But mercy, right, to understand the difference here, mercy is going to the person who's sick out of compassion for them to show kindness to them. This is all over the pages of the Gospels, isn't it? We see people coming to Christ over and over. They come to Jesus and they say, Have mercy on me. The blind come to him. Have mercy on me. Right? They're asking for their sight to be restored. Parents come with their, with their epileptic children and say, Have mercy on my children. Lepers come to Jesus and ask him to show mercy to them. So these are all people who are dealing with the painful consequences of sin, not necessarily that their sin right, brought this particular difficulty to them, but, but sin has broken our world and, and, and uh, the suffering that abounds in it uh, cries out for mercy. We see in Luke 10, Jesus' parable there of the Good Samaritan is a wonderful example of exactly what Jesus means when he's calling us to be merciful. Right? I'm sure you know the parable. We have this uh, this, tra- this traveler who is attacked, he's beaten, he's robbed, he's left for dead by the side of the road. And you have these people who, who see him there on the side of the road. And they go over to the other side of the road and they keep on walking. Right? The, the, the Levite. The priest. Right? And, and they're important guys with important things to do. Busy schedules. Right? They can't slot in this act of mercy right now. They, and they know, right? Numbers 19.16 says that if you touch a dead man, you risk being unclean for seven days. And what an inconvenience that is for a priest. Right? To be unclean. So if this guy is actually dead and they, they, they do go, you know, try to help him, then they're going to become unclean and not able to do their work. So they're perhaps justifying their actions here. This is going to be an inconvenience to them. This is going to, this is going to uh, interrupt their important work. So they go to the other side of the road and they keep on walking and they leave this, this uh, fellow uh, in the dust. And then this Samaritan comes along, one who's despised, of course, in Jewish culture. He comes along. And instead of going to the other side of the road, instead of seeing the need and pretending he doesn't see it, he moves towards it. He goes. He investigates. He finds out what's going on. He, he, then he decides he's going to help him. He cleans and dresses his wounds, helps him onto his, his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays the innkeeper two days' wages to take care of him, and says, I'm going to come back and check on, in on him again, and, and whatever else you need, you know, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll make it up to you then, put it on my, put it on my, my, my tab, I'll, I'll take care of it. And, and Jesus is saying, that is mercy. 
This is what citizens of the kingdom of heaven will be marked by. We won't go to the other side of the street when we see someone suffering. We won't pretend we don't see it. We won't shy away from it. We'll go towards it. When we see suffering, when we see pain, when we see someone struggling, we will want to go towards that. This is what's so compelling about the witness of some of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, isn't it? Um, As the war broke out there, a pastor from a suburb just north of Kiev had to wrestle with the question, do we stay here? I've got kids, I've got a wife. Do we stay here? Do we flee? Right, it's not necessarily wrong for them to flee, is it? The Sixth Commandment says, right, do, do everything in your power to preserve and protect your life and the life of others. Surely he would, he would probably be right to, to, to flee if he can in good conscience. But, but he decided, and his family together decided, that God was calling them to show mercy. He writes this, In recent weeks, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine. Western nations evacuated their embassies and citizens. Traffic in the capital is disappearing. Where did the people go? Everyone who can afford it is leaving, saving their families from potential war. Should we do the same? The conclusion we came to was this. We've decided to stay, both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We'll shelter the weak. We will serve the suffering. We will mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. That's that's mercy. Are we is this what we do? We're not faced with that same kind of drama and danger. Right. But but. We see need all around us, right? In each other, in the church, neighbors, friends, in our own families, right? Our children, our parents. No suffering is too small that we should not show show mercy. Sinclair Ferguson writes about the... uh, It's the everydayness of this mercy. He says, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone's life who has been broken by sin. So when you see someone feeling the effects of sin, someone whose life's been broken by sin, how are you responding? Pretend you don't see it? Look around for someone else to do it? Say, Someone should take care of that. Or, or do you say, I'm going to do what I can to restore dignity to this person's broken life? This isn't just for us as individuals, though. This is for us as a church, isn't it? Right? We're called to do this as individuals in Christ's church, but even as a church, we're called to do this. And this is so important to the heart of Christ that he's actually given us an office in our church with this specific mandate to lead us in showing mercy. That's what the deacons are, are there for. This is the heart of what the diaconate is. Christ has raised it up to show his mercy to those who are suffering. The book of church order puts it like this. The office of deacon is based upon the love of Christ for his own people. So tender is our Lord's interest in their temporal needs that he considers what is done unto one of the least of his brethren as done unto him. 
So one way for us, loved ones, to fulfill Christ's calling to be merciful is to pray for our deacons. Is to, is to pray for them and see if there's any way we can encourage them in their work of doing mercy. Uh, but it's not just to, 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 to give the work to them and say, well, you, you're, the, you're the specialist, you do it. It's, it's to also go to them and say, how can I help? If there's a need, let me know. And, and I'm happy to help in a particular, particular way. This is part of mercy. A huge part of mercy, an important part of mercy. Showing the compassion of Christ to those who are suffering the effects of sin. That's what we're called to. But there's more to it than this, isn't there? There's more to mercy than just extending kindness to someone in need. It's also showing forgiveness. It's showing mercy to, for, for those who are in sin, not just those who are suffering. We see this also in Scripture. Think of the story of Jonah. God sends Jonah to Nineveh to warn them judgment's coming. It's a wicked city, sinful city. It's not a suffering city. Prospering, really. But they're full of sin. But they repent and God shows them mercy. Forgives them for their sins when they repent before him. We see it also, this kind of mercy for sinners. The parable of the tax collector in Luke 18. 13, the tax collector says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's not seeking mercy for his temporal needs. He's seeking mercy for forgiveness of his sins. So what does this mean for us then? This is another aspect of mercy that we're called to, isn't it? Right? It means we need to show uh, kindness and compassion, not only to those who are suffering, but also to sinners. And not just to sinners in, in, in general, but to those who are sinning against us. Show them this mercy. When people offend you or disappoint you or annoy you or rub you the wrong way or outright sin against you, gossip about you, slight you, are you merciful towards them? Towards your children, in-laws, parents, siblings, friends? Show them mercy. This is what reflects the character of God. This kind of mercy for sinners. This is hard because it's expensive. It it costs us, doesn't it? When we forgive, we absorb the cost of the offense ourselves. Uh, uh, To to show mercy to those who are suffering, same thing. It's, It's costly. It's inconvenient. It costs me something to do it. We're such self centered creatures. Mercy asks all the time, not what can I get out of this? What can I give here? How can I serve? How can I show kindness and compassion here? If we're so self-centered, how can we do what Christ calls us to do in showing mercy for sufferers and for sinners? Well, that's where I want to turn now as we consider mercy's motive, our second heading. Mercy's motive. So Jesus, as he starts preaching about the kingdom of heaven, um, uh, as he announces that, it, it, it's an announcement, among other things, of judgment coming. The, the proclamation of the kingdom is also the proclamation the king is going to come and judge all sinners and, and defeat all his enemies. We see this in John's ministry. We see it in Christ's ministry as well, this call to repent before it's too late. And Jesus is going to keep preaching this message uh, all the way to his cross, he'll be, he'll be te- teaching and preaching about the judgment that is coming. And then he's going to give that message to his apostles. And after his resurrection, after he ascends to heaven, they're going to go out and preach. Repent, the king is coming. 
the judgment of God is coming. And, and, and in that day of judgment, this is the message, right? Either you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy, or you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? You're either going to hear Christ say to you, I don't see any sin on your record. Right? Christ paid for it all. He wiped it clean. And He's given you His record of righteousness. Come into your Master's joy. Or He's going to say to you, I see no marks in your life that you were truly repentant. Right? That's, that's the judgment that he's, that he's warning us of. If you want to receive mercy from God on the day of judgment, Jesus is saying then, you must be merciful. Right? He, says, he says here, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is for the merciful. You must be merciful, he's saying. This isn't an optional extra for the Christian. This is required. Your life has to bear this mark. Now, we might say, well, wait a second. Can this really be true? That God would base the mercy he's going to show me on the day of judgment on my good works of mercy? Well, no, he's not going to forgive me and show me mercy because... Uh, of my meritorious mercy to others, right? He's not going to count me righteous because of what I've done. But if I have received His grace, my life will show evidence of it because His Spirit's in me. And so yes, Jesus can say, the merciful will receive mercy. We are saved by faith alone. But saving faith does not stay alone. It bears fruit, real fruit, right? Real union with Christ means my life is going to look in some part like Christ's life. And that means mercy. So when Jesus says that the merciful will receive mercy on that day of judgment, he means that if we are those who received God's mercy ourselves, our lives will show mercy towards others. Ferguson again says this, if we are not merciful, we cannot have received mercy and therefore cannot look forward to receiving His mercy in the last judgment. If we want to be merciful then to others, then we must desire mercy for ourselves. That's the first thing that motivates mercy, right? right? Gratitude for the mercy we've already received. We have, to, we have to understand that we ourselves are sinners who need this, this mercy. We're not going to show mercy to others unless we have an overwhelming sense of our own mercy from God that we've already received. People who are rich in showing mercy have received mercy from God richly themselves. The one who is merciful is the one who's poor in spirit, as we've seen already in his beatitude. It's the one who knows he's a sinner, has no right standing before God in himself, bankrupt spiritually, needs God's mercy. And if that's not you, then you can't be merciful to others. D.A. Carson writes this. He says, It's sometimes said that an alcoholic, who won't admit he's an alcoholic, hates all other alcoholics. Similarly, it's generally true that the sinner who won't face up to his sin hates all other sinners. But the person who's recognized his own helplessness and wretchedness is grateful for whatever mercy is shown him 
And He learns to be merciful toward others. If you're not merciful toward others, it suggests that you do not have a sense of your need for mercy, that you haven't received mercy. Loved ones, has God forgiven you of much? Has He forgiven you of much? Has He he given you many blessings? Have you earned a single one of His loving kindnesses towards you? A single moment of His grace and favor. Did you earn it? We deserve hell. All we have is because of His mercy. How can we not be merciful to others when He has shown us such mercy? Has He been stingy with us? How can we be stingy in our mercy with others? So we are merciful insofar as we've received mercy, loved ones. This is what motivates mercy. Gratitude for the mercy we've received. But not just gratitude for the mercy we received, also a hunger for future mercy, a longing for future mercy. Right? We have this sense, I, I need mercy, God has given me mercy, therefore I can be merciful to others. And we should have the sense, I need mercy, and I need mercy to come. So I'm going to continue to be merciful to others. When Christ comes in judgment, will you need His mercy then? Then you should, uh, you, you, should, you should live a life of showing mercy now. And finally, loved ones, if you would be merciful, if you, if you hear what Christ is saying here, you say, I desire to, to, to reflect His mercy like that towards others, then, then most of all, you need to be walking closely with Him. We need to be showing this mercy because it's the very mercy that marks the character of God. Mercy lies at the heart of who God is. We saw this in our Old Testament text, didn't we? There in Exodus 34, verse 6, God tells the people of Israel what His name is. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. In the context there, the people of Israel are at Mount Sinai they're there to, to consummate the covenant with God. He's called them out of, uh, out of Egypt. He's saved them from slavery, brought them out uh, to himself, and now he's, now he's making his promises to them. This is like the wedding ceremony of God and his people. And, and right there, as Moses goes up on the mountain, receives the covenant word from God, the people down at the base of the mountain get impatient, and they start worshiping an idol instead of the living God. They break the covenant right then and there, And God shows them mercy. He tells Moses, this is my name. I am a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who our covenant God is. This is at the heart of who He is for His people. This is who He's been for you and for me. So we walk closely with Him. We show this mercy to others as we receive this mercy. We don't just see this in the Old Testament, though. We also see it, of course, in the New Testament, right? Think of our Lord Jesus Christ and the mercy that's at His heart. Think of Him as He's there on the cross. Luke 23, 34, He's there hanging on the cross and He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What glorious mercy. As He receives hatred from sinners, He shows mercy in return. As he, as he, uh, as he you know, receives the, 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 the whips, the, the scourge, the, the, the nails, the crown of thorns, the shame, the mockery, all of it, he keeps on showing mercy. With a king like that, loved ones, 
In a kingdom like this, where we've been brought in because of mercy, with a God like this, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, won't we be merciful? So, so walk closely with him. Beg for his mercy for you. Pray that it would fill you up, that you might in response be overflowing in mercy to others. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for your mercy to us. We pray that you would, in turn, make us merciful. Make us to bear these marks of citizens of your kingdom. Lord, we know that we cannot in ourselves accomplish or or perform anything you command us to. It's only by your Spirit's work. So we pray that you'd work these things in us and make us merciful. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.